You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 51 and 52. Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52. And I want to begin by saying I am... uh, Thankful is not the word. It's an, it's an abiding, overwhelming sense of gratitude to the Lord for each and every one of you. We had an elders meeting yesterday, and uh, Wiley and Glenn are such a blessing to me. I leave almost, well, not, I don't want to even qualify it. I think every elders meeting that I have left, I left encouraged, I left filled with joy, excited, and just speaking from personal experience, that's not always the case when you have elders working together in a church. Uh, So, Poplar Spring, you are so blessed to have elders that you do. I go to, yeah, amen. You're so blessed to have the deacons that you have. Uh, These men who have servant hearts, who give so much of their time and their energy who are willing to serve the Lord's church, uh, who are not power-hungry and, and seeking to create their own little kingdoms, you are blessed with the deacons that you have. You're blessed with the Sunday school teachers that we have that are faithful week in and week out to, to expend themselves in teaching children and teaching adults. And I just want to say I love this church. I love Poplar Spring. I love each one of you. You are a, there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about not making it uh, unjoyful for your pastors and elders to watch over you. And I want you to know that, that I, you are a, a living example of that verse, that I might serve with joy, that your elders and deacons might serve with joy. So I'm thankful for every single one of you. And I have just been overwhelmed by God's goodness uh, to Poplar Spring in the last few days. One other way that God has been good and faithful to Poplar Spring is he's brought Jesse and Jenna and Ada Pendergrass back to Poplar Spring. And Jesse's going to be serving with us as our family life minister. And uh, I'm excited for what God's going to do through all of you. Um, I've already made Ada laugh. She already knows what uh, she's got a great sense of humor. We're going to get along well, I think. Um, and I, God has just, I, I see God moving. I know maybe you're here and you don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes. But if, if I could just transplant what I know and what I've seen into your brain, I'll just say you ought to be very encouraged and excited about what God is doing at Poplar Spring. Yes. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52. Let's read very quickly. Jesus says, Have you understood all these things? They answered him, Yes. Therefore he said to them, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out his storeroom, treasures new and old. Let's pray together. Well, Father, as we encounter this passage and Jesus, as we hear your words, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to, to know what it is that you would have us to do. 
Well, to know from this text and then how to respond in grateful obedience. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you teach us. We thank you that you love us. Show us who you are through this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you know why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there's not a lot of aquatic life to be found in the Dead Sea. The reason that there is not much life is because of the extreme salinity, the the amount of salt content in the water, which prevents really any life from flourishing. Uh, In Hebrew, it's called Yam HaMelech, which is translated the salt sea. The Red Sea, not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea has such unlivable conditions. And the reason is, is because if you go pull up a map, now Rick, you correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Because I know you've been doing the small group study on the geography of the Holy Land. He's my Holy Land expert. There is no outlet to the Dead Sea, am I correct? On On the southern end of the Dead Sea, there is no outlets. When you look at the Jordan River and where it flows, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, which is north, you'll see that the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee. But if you look on the south side of the Sea of Galilee, a little bit to the, the, the southwest, there is an, an exit where the Jordan River continues flowing. So, so minerals and, and everything flows into it, but it also flows out. It's a living sea. It has nutrients flowing in and out and that's why there's all the fish and then you read about the fishing stories in the New Testament they were on the Sea of Galilee but that's not so with the Dead Sea the Dead Sea has the Jordan River that flows into it and nothing ever leaves it's a dead end and so because there's no outlet as a consequence there's no life There's very little flourishing. What a poignant picture of the Christian life. If you look at these two C's, you will see... See what I did there? See what I did? Okay. Um, You will find that one is a, a body of water where life is flowing through it. It's flowing in and out. But in one, the Dead Sea, life and material and content is only flowing into and never out. When it comes to following Jesus, we are to be like the Sea of Galilee. Man, I'm killing it today. (laughs) The truths of the kingdom should flow into us from above and through us to those here below with us. How sad it is then when many Christians live as Dead Sea Christians. We're poured into at church. We're poured into in small group. We're poured into in Bible study. We're constantly being deposited into, but none of that flows out. And then we wonder, where is our spiritual life? Where is our spiritual vitality? Why do I not seem to be growing? But is this the life of a disciple? Is this the life that we're called to, that Jesus would have us to live? Well, this morning we want to look at Jesus' conclusion to his parables and ask, what should the life of a disciple look like? Matthew is writing his gospel to help form and shape disciples of Christ. And we know where he's going, right? 
Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. So he's trying to shape us as readers to be disciples of Christ. So what does a disciple look like? Well, if you remember nothing else, I hope you remember this this morning, okay? This is our main idea. We're going to unpack this as we go. The life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. Let me say that again. The life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. The context of Jesus' conclusion in the parables, it's been about the kingdom. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom. It's coming. It's flourishing. And yes, the unseen movement of the kingdom. How the kingdom grows in ways that we don't even know or see sometimes. But then Jesus gets to this point in verse 51 and 52 where he checks with his disciples. Like any good teacher, right? He checks and he says, are you tracking with me? Are you following me? Right? And he says... Remember, in verse 11, he told them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus has been unpacking, the secrets of the kingdom. Then we get to verse 51, and he says, Have you understood all these things? Now here we we need to ask two questions. What does Jesus mean by understood? And what is he talking about all these things? When he says, "Do do you understand? Yes, he's talking about, do you have an intelligent grasp of the concepts that I have just unpacked and, and shown you? Do, you? do you understand? Do you comprehend? Jesus is essentially asking, do you realize the point of these insights that I've been sharing with you, that I've been teaching you? In other words, we might say, do you get it? Do you get it? That's what Jesus means by, do you understand? Do you get it? And then he says, all these things. What does he mean by that? Well, if you go back to verse 34, notice Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable. But then after that, he begins to share the interpretations with the disciples. And so he's taught them the secrets of the kingdom, how how it is sown, how it's in small ways and unseen ways growing, sometimes without our knowledge. But he talks about how one day it will come to fruition and, and the kingdom will come in its fullness. But he also teaches about how the kingdom is the greatest treasure for which we can strive. It's a kingdom that's been given to us as believers in Christ. We've received the kingdom. We've been made a part of it. And by God's grace, we'll enter it. And when the kingdom arrives, we'll see it in its fullness and its completion. And so Jesus says, have you understood all these things? Now, before we look at the disciples' answer, how do you answer? Do you get it? Do you get what Jesus has been saying? Have you understood these things? Do you feel like you get it? Now, notice, I'm not saying do you understand everything. Jesus doesn't say, do you understand everything? He says, do you understand all these things? There's a difference. You can have a broad understanding of all the things such that you say, you say, you know, there are some things where I, I'm not really sure, but you know what? I think broadly speaking, yeah, I get it. Can you wrap your mind around what Jesus has been, been saying? And, and you might say, Jason, yeah, broad strokes, I think I get it. I mean, I still have some questions, but 
But there are a few things that are a little unclear. But yeah, I, I think I've got it. I, I get the gist of it. If that's you, let me tell you this. You're in good company. Because that's exactly where the disciples were. Look at their response. The disciples say in verse 51, they answered him, yes. And what does not come next? Jesus doesn't lean in with a smirk and say, no, you don't. He doesn't say, well, if you truly understood all these things, then X, Y, Z. There's not an examination of their theological terminology and their accuracy. There's no retort from Jesus saying, you think you do, but you actually don't, and here's why. What does Jesus do? He takes their answer as the honest truth. Because it was. They didn't understand perfectly, but they got it. Did they understand everything that had been taught? Probably not. We shouldn't really fault them for that. They didn't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. This is pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, pre-ascension. But for all the gaps in their knowledge, for all the the still evident character flaws, for all of the, the places where they definitely don't get it, they still get it enough that Jesus takes their answer and says, okay. It's not unlike when you're dealing with children or the way you've been taught many things in your own life. There comes a point where you understand, where you get it. I've been teaching one of my sons recently how to tie his shoes, and he was having a little trouble keeping the shoestrings tight. And, and I was watching him, and I, and I said, you know, the reason your shoestrings are, are loose is because you're, you're doing this one little part. Let's try to do this. And, and he tied them this morning, and he got it right. I mean, he gets it. It's like when you, you take up any new topic or new interest, eventually, eventually you get to the point where you're able to communicate about it. You're able to talk about it semi-intelligently. It's the same way that, that dad, dads are auto mechanics. They learn from their fathers and they teach their sons. It's the same way with moms as, as chefs and you learn how to cook with friends as teachers. It's a way of life. There comes the point where you get it. And then notice what comes next in verse 52. Because they say yes, Jesus says, therefore. That's an important word. Therefore, in light of the fact. So Jesus is assuming they get it. In light of the fact, he draws a conclusion. And what conclusion does he draw? What, what's he, what is Jesus drawing a conclusion from? He says, therefore. Now, scholars and commentators debate about is it the truth of the parables is he saying in light of the truth of the parables this or is it in light of your understanding uh you know do this and so it's difficult to ascertain precisely but i think it's safe to say that we don't have to narrow it down it really hard to say that jesus is responding to the disciples understanding He says, therefore, and then look at what he says to them. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. What in the world does Jesus mean there? There's three questions that can help us figure this out. First of all, what was a scribe? A scribe was a legal expert. Someone versed in the law. 
They had a great knowledge of Old Testament texts. They were professional students and teachers. They were the bureaucrats and the experts of Jewish life. So here we have a scribe. Jesus says, every scribe of the law, every teacher of the law does what? Now, the, the, the CSB says, who has become a disciple. The ESV says, who has been trained for. And I think you don't have to choose one, but I think if you're going to understand what Jesus is saying, I would start with the ESV and then move to the CSB. The ESV says, who has been instructed or trained for the kingdom, right? Well, what does that mean? What does that mean to be trained? The word is mathetuo, and that is the, means to become a disciple. The word for disciple is mathetes. So whoever is discipled into being a disciple is essentially what Jesus is saying. Whoever is trained for the training, discipled for the discipling. And that's why it says in the CSB, whoever becomes a disciple. And I think this is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. The disciples have been discipled through the parables, through the teachings of Jesus. And they are then, they are now the scribes. They are the ones the teachers expected to teach. Notice the pattern. Jesus teaches. Disciples learn. They understand. And now Jesus says, you are the teachers now. Thus, Jesus is anticipating the cycle mentioned in Matthew 28. Disciples go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. It's a cycle initiated right here with Jesus. This is Jesus' method for discipleship. And so with these parables, the disciples are being discipled. The trainers are being trained. The equippers are being equipped. And not merely for the purpose of knowledge, but for mission. Because look at what, what he says after that. The third, the third question. So what is a scribe? An expert in teaching. Who teaches? What does it mean to be trained? It means to be discipled, to be equipped. For what? It says the ESV says for the kingdom of heaven. The CSB says in the kingdom of heaven. And, and really to understand that, he's, Jesus is simply saying those who have been instructed in the truths of the kingdom. Those who have been trained in reference to the kingdom. So Jesus is saying the disciples will become the new scribes, the new experts of the truths of the kingdom. So the point is this. Don't miss it. A disciple is someone trained in the truths about the kingdom. And at some point, you know enough. At some point, you move beyond merely receiving instruction to giving instruction. The student becomes the teacher. The young grasshopper becomes the master. Now look at the rest of verse 52. He says this, the teacher who becomes trained in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Those who reach this point of moving from receiving to giving, they are like people who own great treasures and bring out treasures old and new. And you should note that the word for bring out here literally means to throw out, to put out. You can think of it in the sense of when you're putting something out for a yard sale. You're putting something in your yard to give away or that you want somebody to pick up. And so the disciples are giving away that which they've learned. It's been given to them and it's to go flowing through them. And in doing so, 
They'll give out treasures new and old. And some, some read into this statement of new and old that Jesus is saying that the disciples will, see, will teach some old things that people know and some new things. Some say that Jesus is referring they'll teach parts of the Old Testament and, and the New Testament as well. And that can certainly be the case because you remember Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So yes, the disciples in teaching about the kingdom will pass on treasures new and old. They'll be bringing out these treasures for the benefits of others. So if we summarize what we've seen so far, Jesus is saying that the disciples know enough about the kingdom now that it is their turn to begin sharing what they've learned. And this is the reason our main idea is what it is this morning. If you don't remember, our main idea is this. The life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. Jesus says we are to be audion tubes. Does anybody know what an audion tube is? I just, I'm interested. Does anybody know? All my engineers, you don't know what an audion tube is? Mm, for shame. For shame. Well, let, let's talk about it. In 1906, a gentleman by the name of Lee DeForest invented the audion tube, which allowed the detection and amplification of radio signals. And so what this, this new thing, and he almost kind of, he, he essentially discovered it by accident. He was tinkering. And, and what it does is it detects weak radio signals. Back before that, a radio signal, you know, that travels through the air and it wouldn't travel very far. But with this tube, it could detect it, amplify it so that it could go even farther. It could take a weak electrical signal and amplify it into a larger one. And so with the Audion tube, it was possible to boost signals over long distances of wireless transmissions. And this really set the stage for radio broadcasting across the country. It's what enabled phone calls to take place across the country. And this morning, Jesus is saying that we are to be Audion tubes. We take the message that we receive from Jesus and we amplify it. We carry it. We take it further, farther. If you don't know the difference, come talk to me afterwards. All the English teachers appreciated that, right? Farther. Farther is distance. Physical distance. Further is like logical argument. PSA. <laughs> Did somebody say preach? <laughs> That's the first time anybody's ever said preach. <laughs> All right. But that's what Jesus is essentially saying. We are to be these, these tubes that receive the teaching and amplify them, that, that carry them even farther. I think about that verse in Hebrews 5.12. The writer of Hebrews says, some of you ought to be teachers by now. So the life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. So for each one of us here this morning, there, there has come, there, there should have come, Maybe they, there hasn't come that moment in your life where there was the turn. There was the pivot. Pivot! Some of you know what that's from. <laughs> you get it. You've gotten enough. There is the turn that takes place that you are to begin sharing those treasures 
the life of following Christ is, yes, one of sitting at the feet of Jesus. It is receiving the instruction. That is absolutely a part of it. That's only half of it. The other half of it is not just sitting at his feet, but being his hands and feet. The life of a disciple is being taught and teaching. The life of a disciple is receiving and giving. And so let me ask you, would you say that this characterizes your life, that it's in balance? Is your life one in which the teachings of the kingdom flow through you? Or do they only flow to you? There are a lot of reasons why they don't. There are a lot of reasons why we get this out of balance. And some of them are such obvious reasons that I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to convict you of those. I want to address two misguided responses to this. This idea that, that we ought to have the turn or the pivot into being disciples who receive and give. The first misguided response is this. Somebody might say, and I've heard these, and, and I'm not saying anybody in here has said this, and maybe you have in the past, and I, trust me, I have forgotten that conversation. You are not on my mind when I say this. But I've heard people say things like, or, or, you think you don't know enough to teach. I, don't, I just don't know enough to teach. I don't know that, that I would be a good teacher. But, but what does our text this morning show? Now, it may be true for a period for some. We think about new, new converts. You know, Paul says that, that an elder shouldn't be a new convert. We know that there, there is a period where that is true. But that's not for everyone. But also, the qualifications are not based on your abilities. I love how it's stated. What does Jesus say? You are like a master bringing out a treasure. If I came in here and I laid a treasure chest full of gold on the table here, would I need to have the capabilities and the understanding of the gold market to help you understand that I've just laid out treasure in front of you? No. You don't have to sell it. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to be a, a, a beautiful rhetoric. You don't have to be a beautiful speaker. Thank you. Humility. Rhetorician. That was just for me. I love how it says, all you have to do is bring it out and set it before people. Do not misunderstand the value of someone who simply teaches what Scripture says. Who's able to communicate the truths of the gospel, the truth of God's word in a way that people can understand. If that's you and you say, I don't think I can, I know enough to teach, but you might get enough that the turn needs to take place and you need to think of it as just bringing out the treasures. You just put it out there and let the Lord take care of the rest. That's one misguided response. The second misguided response is you think you're not gifted enough to teach. Let me ask you, what gifting did the disciples have? Some of them were fishermen, tax collectors. They're not trained speakers. There's nothing mentioned. Jesus simply asked, do you understand? And if you understand, then God can use that. God can do just as much with a grandfather, a grandmother speaking truth into someone's life than he can use somebody with a PhD in systematic theology. You don't have to have all the giftings. And in fact, here's a little bit of good news for you. 
The Spirit of God has gifted you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He's given you spiritual gifts. So where do you start? If those are two misguided responses, where do you start this morning? Well, first of all, I want you to think, where am I? Where have I gotten this out of balance? And it might be helpful to to read this statement with two pieces of emphasis. Because you might find yourself in one half. So let's read it with one piece of emphasis. The life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. Maybe that's where you are. That's the challenge that you need to hear. But perhaps there's some of you here this morning where the opposite is true. You need to pivot back, not just from, you don't need to pivot to teaching. You've been teaching. You've been serving. But you've left the feet of Jesus. You, you have moved from receiving. I want you to know what this looks like. When this happens is when you think of your serving as a substitute for learning. That your serving is a substitute for sitting at the feet of Jesus. The point is it's a both and. So let's read it the other way. The life of disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. Where are you this morning? Maybe the pivot needs to happen where you begin sharing with others. Or maybe the pivot needs to happen where you recognize that you need to come back and sit with Jesus for a while. Be taught for a while. Learn from the master for a while. So you start with Jesus. Here's the thing. We read this. And I ask you where you find yourself this morning, where you've been talking about pivoting, right? Pivot this way or pivot that way. But here's where we have to be careful because what you might actually think is that you're at the center of it all and you're not. You're not at the center of this disciple relationship. You are not the son. S-U-N. You revolve around him so wherever you are you cannot live this life apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ he's at the center of a discipling relationship so whether you're thinking about moving towards serving or moving towards returning they're both centered on Jesus not you and as you trace back the discipleship relationship what you begin to see is that this whole cycle did not start with you. The life of a disciple is one that ebbs and flows. And if you trace that cycle all the way back, it takes you to Jesus at the center and at the start. And so a life of a disciple, it is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. But we do that Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We do that with grateful hearts. That though we were sinners. Though we had rebelled and gone our own way. God in his kindness. In his goodness. In his love towards you. Sent his son Jesus. And Jesus came. And he lived a perfect life. He taught. He never sinned. And he goes to a cross. He's nailed, crucified. And the judgment for our sins is poured out on him. And and the, the righteous 
wrath and judgment and justice of, of, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are poured out on the Son. And He takes it all upon Himself such that our sins are forgiven. That we're saved by what He does on the cross. He's buried for three days and then He rises again three days later. He ascends into heaven. He sends His Spirit who draws us, who makes us alive again. And we come to faith in Christ by His grace through faith. And then the discipleship relationship begins. So, yes, the life of a disciple is one of receiving the teachings of Jesus and passing them on to others. But it's always with Christ at the center, with gratitude for the grace that He has shown us. So whatever move you need to make, understand that that move needs to happen after reflecting on Jesus, being reminded of His kindness and His grace towards you, being thankful for His salvation, and then receive those teachings and pass them on to others. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you need to make that turn one way or the other. We're going to come to a time where you can respond and ask the Holy Spirit to show you which turn you need to make. And maybe it's a little bit of both. But maybe you're not a Christian this morning and, and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. What you need to do is acknowledge that you've sinned against God and that sin deserves condemnation. And then you need to turn to Jesus Christ and trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins. If you do that, the Bible promises you that your sins are forgiven, you receive eternal life, and you begin a disciple, a loving, a joy-multiplying relationship with the God who made you. As we come to a time of invitation, I'll be down here at the front. You respond as the Lord leads. If you'd like me to pray for you, I'd be happy to do that. But let me pray for us, and then uh, you pray and respond as the Lord leads. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that God, though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to see where we are. Help us to be honest with ourselves. To be honest before you. There's no point in, in trying to hide where we are and who we are. But Lord, where we have failed to, to fully receive, we ask your forgiveness. And Lord, where we have failed to be faithful in sharing, we ask your forgiveness as well. And we are once again reminded, Lord, that even though we, many of us, fail daily at this very simple main idea, your grace is sufficient. God, we can't go back and undo or redo. What we can do is seek to move forward trusting that we're forgiven by Christ. And that's the only way that we have any hope of picking ourselves up, being picked up, and trying again. Lord Jesus, help us to be disciples who receive your teachings and pass them on to others. As we go into a time of prayer, you respond as the Lord leads. I'd be happy to pray with you down here at the front if you would like.